All right, welcome to the Courtside Hoops podcast with Reg and Buckets on this Monday night public holiday, which was always always a nice uh, nice long weekend. Buckets, how are you, mate? I'm very well, very well. Very happy to have a long weekend and going to take another day off tomorrow just to extend the long weekend, which will be good, and get some needles done for the baby to make her, make her stay alive. So that's going to be <laughs> a tremendous amount of fun tomorrow, I'm sure. Yes, yeah, make the take the uh, noise cancelling headphones might be the trick. Yeah. <laughs> you didn't hear that from me. You didn't hear that from me. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Just drown her out with the playoffs, I reckon. That's right. That's right. Well, speaking of, let's start with today's uh, uh, series, which obviously ended um, for Denver. Um, what was your thoughts on that series? And I guess um, on Chris Paul's play, um, you know, he obviously had the, the shoulder issues in the first round and, and see, that seems to have settled down, if not, if not gone this round. Um, what do you make of, of the series and, and of his play and, um, and leadership? Yeah, so I think certainly um, as a LeBron fan, it helps him because, you know, you can't. They've just beaten a team 4-0 with the MVP. Yes, they've got injuries, but the fact that they beat the Lakers in the first round, it's not like the Phoenix Suns are some scrub team. Like this is a very, very good basketball team that's playing very well at the moment. But I think Chris Paul, um, you know, the knock on him has always been that he gets injured when it when it matters, which looked like was going to happen again in the first round. Um, so hopefully that his luck's turning around now and he'll get through this postseason fully healthy from here on out because his play you could argue his career best at the moment, especially from the leadership perspective. Um, and it's a throwback to, and I shouldn't say throwback because the you know, basketball's only changed probably since 2013, 14, when the three-point shot really took over as Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors um, dynasty started. But it's good to see proper basketball again from a player like Chris Paul where he has the in-between game. It's not just this 2K style of basketball where it's run up and down and launch as many threes as you possibly can unless you've got a layup or a dunk, which is fun to watch as a fan. But once you get to the postseason as a, as a basketball player that has played the game, it is nice to see the actual tactics and incredulities, which I don't think is an actual word, I did a terrible job pronouncing that <laughs> of, of the game um, to see someone that takes what the defender gives you, has that in-between game, the mid-range game to be able to exploit defences, um, you know, be able to search out mismatches, not just through a pick and roll at the top of the key until you get the matchup you want, get guys in foul trouble. You know, they're, they're, they're built like a normal traditional basketball team with, you know, they've got Aiton as your big guy, rim running in the middle. You've got your wing scorer in Devin Booker. You've got a true point guard that's still able to score the ball when needed, like in the last two games in Chris Paul. It's constructed how basketball teams were supposed to be constructed to be successful in the postseason. So it's been good to see that sort of basketball played again in the NBA. Um, and hopefully players will see now that, you know, with Chris Paul and even Kawhi Leonard to an extent that there is still a place for mid-range basketball when you get to the postseason and how deadly that can be and how much you can exploit defences if you've got a consistent mid-range jump shot. Yes, the, the art of the mid-range jumper when it comes to postseason when the game slows down is certainly something you need. And you're spot on that Kawhi and, and Chris Paul, you won't find two better mid-range uh, players in the game. And it's I guess in, in, the, in the regular season, a lot of teams um, are happy to give up a mid-range shot. They don't want anything around the rim and they don't want um, uncontested threes. But they're happy yes. to almost give away an uncontested um, mid-range or yeah, even a deep two um, to a certain certain degree. Um, so you're right. When it comes to the playoffs, they they then got to change their their um, defensive schemes because that's a, a very very handy shot when the game slows down. Um, because you, you, I mean, when the game slows down, you're basically happy to get whatever you can get. That's a good shot. Like no matter where it is. But, whereas in this run and gun game, you can obviously jack threes and. Get, get looks, you know, so many more looks like that. But when the game slows down, which it always does, you look at the pace numbers from regular season 
um, to playoffs and they're always significantly lower. Um, you need a guy who can either um, one versus one, get his own shot from the mid range or off the pick and roll. And Chris Paul, that elbow sort of fade that he does is like money in the bank. Absolutely. Every time he does it. Um, and Kawhi's line drive, one of the flattest shots I've ever seen is also money in the bank. <laughs> when yes. he gets, it gets around that free throw line or even in the sort of um, yeah, mid to mid um, post there, it's just money. And it's when, when the scoring is not, as high as it is in the regular season. Obviously you've got games here and there, but things like that, it's so much more important to just be able to put the ball in the ring, you know, against quality defense. And if that's a mid range shot and you've got guys who can do it, you know, you're spot on. And that's, that's, I guess the basketball, that, I mean, that's, that's the basketball that we grew up on, you know, is, is that the three point shot was definitely not the basketball that we grew up on. It just, it's just become more and more. I mean, I think that's, I think at the last, I can't remember if it's eight or nine years, the, the record for the most threes has been broken. I think for nine straight years or something like that. So obviously before that, um, which which takes it down to that that time period you were talking about, it was more a big guy down low, you know, um, a proper point guard who can set the table. Um, and for me, I think I have underestimated Chris Paul's leadership because pretty much wherever he goes, they win. Um, and I don't think as good as Devin Booker is, as good as eight, and I think is going to be, and those guys are obviously still got heaps of development in them they're not where they are if it's not for chris paul and even even monty williams as much as he's a good coach it's almost like you've got another coach out on the floor you know pointing directing guys you know um and he's he's i think he's as good as it comes probably with lebron in terms of orchestrating a game from from on the court you know it's it's almost like just no you go over there like you know hold the ball up direct traffic and you see guys just they go to their spots and then they're just—they're a good team to watch, Phoenix, because of because of the fact that they have an inside presence, a wing, and a point guard, and then a bunch of role players who, I mean, your Jay Crowders and that—they just buy into this is my role, like he did with Miami last year. Um, that it, it makes them a, a quite a complete team, um, and I—I I underestimated Chris Paul and under underestimated them, um, but now here they are in the, in the Western Conference Finals. Yeah, absolutely, and. Yeah, we've seen the rise of analytics basketball, um, and and there's certainly a place for it um, from from the perspective of you know we look at the percentages of shots and you know we add up that okay we've got 120 possessions so if we shoot x amount of these type of shots and we make this percentage of them mm. we're going to score this amount of points which that's going to make us win 70 percent of our games and and all that so you put it in an excel spreadsheet and it all looks great in a simulation but what it can't what analytics can't take into account is pace of game momentum in games emotions of players the actual human side of playing sport and playing the game of basketball so analytics have its place but it has to be it can't all be analytics it can't be like the houston rockets where it's okay we'll go 100 analytics roster and hope that that will you know yield results for us because it only takes it so far and i think what phoenix and what chris paul is showing is you gotta you, yes you have the analytics on this side but you've got to couple that with the ability to be able to control the game, control the pace of the game, because all defences are geared to now is to run you off the three-point line and then stop you from layup and dunking. So when the momentum of the game is shifting to be able to not just jack up threes like we've seen with the Houston Rockets, I think it was 2017 or 18 when they missed 21 straight or things like that, or if they're protecting the rim, to have that in between to, okay, we need to quell the momentum and just get a bucket and just slow the game down a bit. Having that in between game where you can come down and get a mid range shot instead of just continually jacking up three after three or getting blocked at the rim on layups. Cause then that kills all the confidence and momentum of your team and you've got no, no plan B. So we're seeing now that, you know, you can't just go all the way down the analytics side if you want to be successful in the playoffs. It's it's funny you say that. I was I um, was going to actually ask you how much do you think analytics like plays a part, I guess, in the game. And the reason I say that is because it's such a big part of the game nowadays. Um, you look on when when people have views on say social media, um, and there are 
way more basketball experts <laughs> nowadays uh, than there ever has been in, in the history of the sport. And I think because it's so much more accessible and easy to watch with things like League Pass that you know more people are watching it, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm amazed at how many people only, only, only use analytics to make their points. So it's almost like they're, they're, they're caught up in this, this um, you know, algorithm of if you do this, this works and blah, blah, blah. That, as you say, I think, I think it has a point and you can't ignore it. You can't just say, no, nah, analytics don't mean anything. They're all a bunch of rubbish, blah, blah. But there's, there's other parts um, that I think particularly are displayed in the playoffs where analytics can't tell you that. Analytics can't help you in that way. This is just when when guys who know how to play basketball, when the game slows down, you know the, the tiny little um, um, plays here and there that you don't see in the regular season. The the way that they um, execute, you know, a, a simple um, plays, but with proper screens and and things like that in the playoffs are things that the analytics can't show you. They can't show you how to set a screen properly. They can't show you how to roll properly. They can't show you with a guy like Chris Paul or LeBron or any of these guys who can control the game that analytics can't show you that. As you say, it's, it's about, it's about how many shots the teams take and how many threes do you need to get up and what percentage in order to win more games than not. That's the sort of thing that analytics can tell you, but it's amazing on social media, how many people are just like, Oh no, but if they just did this and it's always something to do with the analytics side of the game. And it's sort of frustrating. Like, do you actually watch the game? Like, do you actually see those other things? Or do you just read the analytics and go, yeah, you got to shoot 53s a game. And if you hit 20 of them, you're going to win. Like, you know. Yeah. And that's it. it just doesn't take into account any of the mental side of it. Because you you would know you're a shooter. So you could go out and if it's a big playoff game and say you come out and you miss four straight threes, okay, no matter how confident these players say that they are and it's just next play, next shot, missing your first four is going to make you feel different than if you hit two of your first four. So analytics doesn't take any of that confidence side of things and emotion side of things into it. Whereas, okay, say you come out and you miss those first four and then you come down, you could just keep jacking up because that's what the analytics say. Just keep shooting threes, keep shooting threes, and eventually you'll get back to your average and that'll that'll mean more points. But in real terms, in playing that game, just coming down and jacking that next three, it's probably not going to do anything for your confidence because then you're 05, 06. And we've seen, you know, guys really have poor shooting nights in the playoffs in big games. Whereas if you've got the extra pieces to your game, we'd say, okay, I've missed my first four threes. I'm not going to come down and just jack another one up with the defense closing out of me. Okay. I can come in and I can hit a 10 to 12 footer because they're protecting the rim from the dunks. They're protecting the threes because that's what the analytics say the defense needs to do. So I'll hit a 10 footer and then I'll come down the next play and I'll get a good screen. I'll come down, I'll hit a 12 footer. And now immediately your confidence level has changed dramatically because you've been able to see the ball go in twice from a 10 and 12 footer. That next three that you take is going to be so much more likely to go in than if you just come down and jacked up a three after going 0 or 4 from three. And analytics can't tell you that. That's from playing the actual game of basketball and understanding the mental side of it and how confidence and things like that. And that's where we see guys like, I think it was Lou Dort in that game seven come out and hit, I think, six or seven threes. Yep. That's not analytics making him hit those shots. That's because he... <laughs> He got two or three and his confidence went through the roof. So he starts hitting shots that he normally doesn't hit because of the confidence he has and the freedom he's playing with. So that's the part where you can't just be all analytics because there's that, that mental side of the game. Absolutely. And how, how often do you hear um, say, I use the, use the shooters, for example, they say, all I need to do is just see one go in. So if I can get to the free throw line and just, see a couple of shots go in it like they could be oh of eight and all of a sudden they're you know eight for 16 they eight straight like it's it's amazing how often they just need to see the ball go in the rim and as you say it doesn't always have to be until you hit a three or until you hit this particular shot it's any shot yeah. just see the ball go in the ring and it completely changes the the mindset of you know now the next one's going in the next one's going in as opposed to being that oh for eight and going uh I'm not really sure I want to take this next one. I'd rather, yeah. you know, rather give it off. And then on the on the other side is you hear the coaches in the playoffs. I reckon more than more than any more than all of the regular season combined. When you listen to the post match um, presses, and they always say, you hear often, we found a way to win. 
And that's that's what happens in the playoffs. It's not always pretty. In fact, it's often not. But it's you find a way to win. If you're not hitting your shot, find out some other way to be effective. Find some other way yes. to get your teammates involved. Do something on the defensive end. Take a charge. Do something to find a way to win the game. You know, and that's that's what it comes down to. And that's where you've got. I think you, that's that, that's what helps separate the good players from the average. Is they know, okay, I can affect the game in more ways than just this one thing. Um, whereas some of those less guys are like, no, if I can't do this, I can't do anything. Like this is me. This is what I do. Um, yeah. And that's why you've got guys like that um, that point guard from um, from Denver, um, Mont- uh, Monty Morris or Monte Morris, um, who um, oh, what's the Denver's coaches? Mike Malone was saying he told him before he had that big game five, I think it was like you're not you're, you're just trying to do what you did when Jamal Murray was here. Jamal Murray is not here, so we need you to do more. I need you to do more, and he's like, I challenge you to do more, and he came out and scored twenty something and. Obviously, they didn't win the game, but he, um, sorry, not game five, game four. He had, um, sorry, game three. He had um, a bigger game, you know, because he's like, I have to do more than just what my role is during the regular season where I'm just pigeonholed into this is me, this is all I do. Yes. So, just staying with, with Denver. So, we spoke before the playoffs what we thought Michael Porter Jr. was going to be after this playoff run. Um, where do you think he stands? Do you think he's a superstar in the making? Uh, this was probably his best chance to to elevate to that level, given that Jamal Murray was out. Uh, what do you think his ceiling is? Do you think he proved anything, or do you think he's still the same Michael Porter Jr.? Um, look, I was a little bit disappointed um, because I thought he would have more of an impact. I guess what 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 I sort of thought now, like reflecting on it, is when you've got someone like Jamal Murray and Jokic on the court as the third stringer it's easier you know you're not taking the second best defender you're not taking the first but you're taking the third best defender um and this dude's six eight or something like that um and and can score well has sort of over his the course of his career whether it be college or, or high school um is a proven scorer that i think when he went up against guys as who, who are actually game planning a bit more for him and, and getting a bit more into the detail i guess more than you can do in the regular season it caught him off guard a bit and I, I must admit, I think I threw future superstar around a little bit too early. Um, still think he's going to be a good player, but I think uh, I think I'm going to cool down on the whole uh, on the whole future superstar there. And not, that, not, <laughs> not that he was bad, but I think I think experience will be really good for him. Like I think this he'll he'll, he'll be even better next year, um, having having gone through this. But um, I guess for me, I sort of saw him as a bit of a say a bit of a T Mac in um, in Toronto. And like, man, if he just got his opportunity where he had his own team, like when T-Mac went to Orlando, he'd light it up and blah, blah. And that may be true. Um, but I, st- I think now he's, he's probably a few steps below where I um, thought he might have been uh, at this point in time. What did you think of? Because you, you were sort of like, let's wait and see. So you, you had the smart uh, comment, whereas I sort of went, <laughs> went, went the bold statement. <laughs> yeah, look, for me, um, you know, superstar we've spoken about this, that it gets thrown around far too often in, in this league. Um, for mine, if if you're going to enter that level of, of talent and that type of player, we would have seen so much more out of him because, you know, great moments happen from when preparation meets opportunity. So if he was ready to ascend to even an all-star level, Given that Jamal Murray was out, this was the perfect opportunity for that to happen if he was ready for that. But his game really didn't change a lot from last postseason when Jamal Murray was there and they're in the bubble. So for me, that tells me, okay, he's not someone that's just waiting and he's ready once the opportunity comes to take it with both hands. Like someone like a Luka Doncic, he's... You know, once he gets to the postseason, he's taking those opportunities and showing everyone just how good of a player he is. Michael Board didn't didn't do that. He just basically continued to play the same way he played all season with the same amount of production. So for me, he's going to be that type of player. He will be a great second option on a good team, a good third option on a title contender. But I don't see superstar. Uh, as as being yeah because if he was going to be that type of player this was the perfect opportunity for him to show and it wouldn't he didn't have to come out and average 35 points and absolutely dominate 
it was more in terms of how he approached the game. Like he wasn't trying to play with a level of force to make a difference. He was just continuing to do what he'd always done. But your your best wing player was out, as as you say, with with saying, okay, we need you to do more because Jamal Murray's not there. Mm. He wasn't trying to do that. He wasn't trying to elevate his game at all. His biggest issue, I think, and this might come back to hurt him, is um, there's sort of been a lot of talk um, all, all, ever since he came up through um, through high school because I, I sort of knew him then because he played for Brandon Roy's when Brandon Roy was a high school coach um, and he played as part of that team and they went like 29-0 and and won like a state title or something like that. And um, everyone was saying he's a really good basketball player but he's not the most intelligent fellow. <laughs> yeah. um, and then apparently with his back injury that he had when he was at... Um, um, Mizzou Uni, um, which he only played, I think he might have only played a game or two at college and then didn't end up um, playing anything more than that. Got in, got ended up sliding all the way to the, I think it was the 14th pick in the draft after he was sort of meant to be number one, two or three. Um, I think people are sort of like, you, you, the mind is such an important part that you need to have some level of, um, not, intelligence isn't even the right word, but just some level of mental strength, I guess, mental toughness. That this dude has all of the tools, but it, it, does he really have that 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 edge, you know, mentally? Um, and I think you're right. If if he had that, he would have been a lot better in in this playoffs with the opportunity that he had. Because watching their games, Jokic is like, man, somebody give me a hand, like somebody give me a hand, and there was just no one. It was just like it was a one man show trying to do it all himself, and nearly nearly did the best he could, like you know. Um, so yeah. I think I'll, I'll, I'll uh, reserve my bold statements on, on, anyone, <laughs> on anyone else for a little bit. But speaking of superstar, um, Stephen A. Smith has come out and basically said, Donovan Mitchell, superstar. He needs that next to his name. He went one step further and said he's the greatest jazz player of all time. Sorry, sorry John Stockton. Sorry, Carmelone. It's Donovan Mitchell. What do you think about Stephen A.'s latest comments? And, and I guess about Donovan's play beyond that. Well, I think Byron Russell needs a bit, a fair bit more love, and Greg Ostertag. I, I think we're just Foster, Jeff Foster, Jeff Foster, Howard Isley, <laughs> all those boys. Yeah. <laughs> who was that? Who was the white guy that played the three for them during their championship runs? He used to coach um, them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, why can't I remember his name now? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he was a star. But um, <laughs> look, I, that, that's just a hot take. That's just that's just something to get some views and a bit of clickbait there because. Donovan Mitchell's great. Carmelo's a two-time MVP. Took the Jazz to two NBA finals. They're two-one up in the um, Western Conference semifinals. So, yeah, let's just yeah, yeah let's not be prisoner of the moment. Yeah, uh, he's third best Utah player behind Carmelo and then John Stockton. Look, if he leads them to the NBA finals and a championship, then we can start having the conversation. But until he gets to the finals and at least wins an MVP, he can't say that he's better than someone that won two MVPs and took them to two finals and just happened to come up against Michael Jordan. You know, it's just, yeah, that's that's a prisoner of the moment type thing. But he is playing very well. What what have you thought of that series and the Jazz's play and then maybe Aussie Joe, Jingling Joe? I love watching the Jazz play. I, I seriously reckon they're my favourite team to watch play. Um, because they've got obviously Rudy down low, protecting the rim, getting his lobs uh, on the offensive end. Um, Joe has been fantastic. Uh, I think he sort of started a bit slow, and he's they've sort of said, "Mate, you need to give us a bit more on the offensive end." And he's been shooting the ball at a very, very decent uh, clip, very high efficiency. Uh, and you've got a guy like Donovan Mitchell who is getting compared a lot to um, D Wade. With, with a bit better jumper. <laughs> um, and it's it's cool having, I guess, uh, D. Wade being a, a part owner of the the Jazz now and being on the sidelines and, you know, giving, um, giving D. Mitch, as I like to refer to him, some uh, <laughs> some uh, help, you know, throughout the games and telling him what's, what he sees and, and stuff like that. But I just love watching them. I just I, I just think they're, they're such a well-coached team. Um, again, I think I might have underestimated them. A bit like I'd done with a bit like I do with everyone these days, because <laughs> I just thought, no, nah, just they're just. I don't think they're. I mean, I think the. I didn't think they were were at that level because I still thought this was LeBron's 
you know, the Lakers were going all the way sort of things. So and now the Lakers are out of the picture. It's kind of, for me, it's kind of opened it wide open. I don't trust the Clippers at all. Um, so I, I think, I think we're going to end up with, with a, a Phoenix um, Utah conference finals, which no one would have picked, <laughs> um, you know, at the, at the start of the playoffs, even though Utah did finish with the, with the best record in the West. But I, I sort of thought they were like that Atlanta Hawks team that won. I think they were top of the East two years in a row. or had the best record in the league. And, but they were never a real contender. They were just like a really, really good um, regular season team. But I tell you what, I, I'm not going to throw superstar out there because I got completely wrong with future superstar in Michael Porter Jr. But Donovan is super exciting to watch. The way he, the way he plays the game, the, t- the shots that he hits, the confidence he plays with, um, the way he sees the game by listening to him in the, in the post-match um, presses and things like that. Um, and the way that team just loves playing with each other and for each other is I think pretty rare in the NBA where ego sort of tends to get in the way more often than not, because, you know, all these guys at one point in time in their lives, were the best player on the team. So it's hard to then give that up for a role, but I think those guys have bought in. Um, and yeah, I'd, I'd love to see them go all the way. I, I really would. I think it'd be awesome. What about you? What do you think about, about them and about jingling? Well, I think I think what we're seeing in, in certainly in this these players in the Western Conference is, as you say, you've underestimated um, a couple of these teams. But I think it's because the out and out superstars of the league, so your Anthony Davis and LeBron James led Lakers are out. So these really good um, quote unquote teams have an opportunity to keep progressing because normally what we see is the teams that have the absolute superstars and where there's two, you know, a superstar and even an all-star on a team together, that can, that generally overshadows great teams. They eventually are able to get past them in a four game series, just purely based on having that next level of talent on their team to be able to get past. Like I look at it, in the Eastern Conference, and everyone used to say, oh, the East is so weak, but they had great teams that won 60-plus games in teams like the Toronto Raptors and the Atlanta Hawks. But once they faced a LeBron James team, that next level of talent was able to overcome those great teams. So I think if you still had Anthony Davis and LeBron James Lakers in the West we wouldn't be talking in the same ilk that we're talking about the Jazz and the Phoenix Suns yeah. because that talent would just, you know, be able to overcome them. Um, and I think that's where we need to see what Kawhi is actually made of. If he's not, not able to lift this Clippers team past this Utah Jazz team, you can't talk about him in the same breath that you talk about LeBron James, Kevin Durant, um, Kobe Bryant, like these superstars of the league because they would be able to overcome this jazz team as good as they are as a team. If you're a true, you know, best player on the planet conversation type player, you should be able to overcome them, especially when you've got another all-star in Paul George and a great coach in Ty Lue. Um, So for me, the Clippers aren't going to get past them, which shows the difference of where Kawhi does sit a tremendous player, but not in that same, same level of conversation. I love And I went back and started Googling the past stuff with Joe Ingalls and Paul George. So good, isn't it? It's very Australian. (laughs) It it, it absolutely takes the piss out of me, which is very funny to see. Uh, I must give Paul George credit. His game three was was tremendous after um, struggling games one and two. But I I don't see the Clippers coming back again from two two love up. I think Utah have too much. I I love seeing the straight-up defense on Kawhi Lennon. Um, That was a a nice change to see just one-on-one fighting through screens, taking on that challenge. Um, That was was really good to see. And they are a very good team. And I think you're right. I think, you know, to have a Phoenix-Utah Western Conference Finals, no one would have picked it, but it's going to be two really good teams going at each other to see see who can who can come out so and you know the clippers spent all that money and did all that uh hoo-ha in for two second round exits yeah I, I, it's it's funny that the say the jazz do get through um it actually will be a good um a good playoffs or a good um western conference final series but not i think for the reasons that we would normally 
think a good conference finals would be. And that's normally, as you say, because it's the, the, the elite of the elite superstars going at it. Whereas this is almost like, well, who's the better team? You got two great yes. teams, you know, going at it. Um, yes, they've got um, great players. Don't get me wrong, but um, it, it would be interesting. The, the matchup will be really good, I think. Um, if the if the Clippers get through, um, obviously they play game four uh, tomorrow to try to even it up two two. If if they happen to get through, then I think the, the pressure. I, I think every well, I don't know. Do you, do you reckon the pressure gets increased as you go along if you're someone like a Kawhi Leonard, or it's actually it gets less the, the long the further you go through? And what I mean by that is, in in the terms of what you were saying, with some people think he's the best player in the world or close to. If if he makes it through to the finals and say loses, um, is is there more pressure on him in that final series to deliver, or is there more pressure on him in the second round or conference finals? I think there's more. There'd be more pressure on him right now because the Clippers have never been to a Western Conference Finals, so there's there's certainly a, a huge level of pressure on him right now. If they get through to the Western Conference Finals, the pressure would elevate again because they're playing against a team like the Phoenix Suns with an aging Chris Paul, even though we've sung his praises, the narrative is going to be, well, he's 36 years old. Um, and then you've got a young Devin Booker and a young um, Aiden. So you're the experienced campaigners. Um, you should come and win that so the pressure would be heightened then but if they then make it to the finals it would come down because like okay you've taken the Clippers to their first Western Conference finals you've then won that and got them to their first NBA finals so you're really playing with house money in terms of expectation from the franchise and from probably the greater NBA community that okay you got knocked out in the second round last year but now you've been able to get them to their first conference finals, win that and get to the NBA finals. And if they happen to come up against a Brooklyn or um, a Milwaukee, well, you know, you lost to a superstar in either Giannis or Kevin Durant and company. So that's how I see it playing out. He's certainly under a lot of pressure now. And, um, and I just don't see them coming out of this second round. Uh, Just to me, the Utah jazz are, are playing tremendous basketball and the Clippers just, yeah, you know, had to fight so hard to get through the first round. I just don't see them being able to do that a second time um, unless Kawhi goes back and plays as well as he did in those last two games in the Dallas series, which I don't think Utah will allow him to do because they've got more horses than what Dallas did. Yeah, I think the one thing that <clears throat> um, always reminds me, uh, always um, amazes me about uh, Donovan Mitchell, and I think the good, the 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 way I sort of split, say, him and Paul George is... Paul George can put up numbers, um, but I don't feel like his numbers have the impact on winning that Donovan Mitchell's numbers have for the Utah Jazz. And I think it comes back to that. There's certain guys who could score 10 points and have a massive impact on a game. And there's other guys who can go out and get 20 or 30. And it's like, oh, they had 30, but it, they, you know, they didn't have any impact on winning. And it's, it's, it's a weird thing to say. And this is like a, another thing where I think analytics don't always play the part or stats don't always tell the story is what I'm loving about Donovan. And this is where I see him probably the most turning into a bit of a D Wade is just the impact on winning. You know, those guys who they're just winners. They just know how to go out there and win. And I think Donovan, we we saw obviously his ridiculous play in the bubble last playoffs. He's now sort of really come into his own that I think he's starting to be like, no, no, it's about winning now. Like it's about winning and I've got to do whatever I can to, to help this team win. Um, Whereas I still see Paul George as a bit of a, I'm going to get mine sort of guy. And Kawhi, I sort of think fades in and out between the two. I think you're right. In the, in the end of the Dallas series, he was that guy who's not, it's win, 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 win. And then sometimes I see him, I'm like, are you just trying to get your numbers up? Or like, what's going on? Like, where's the, where's the Kawhi who's supposed to be challenging LeBron for the best and KD for the best player in the league? You know, like he, like what people were saying after the, um, the Toronto um, title when he, he took them all the way there. So that's, that's one thing that I'm really, really loving about watching Donovan is just the, just the way he goes about trying to orchestrate the whole game and, and, and um, uh, control the game so that they can get the win and whatever his numbers are, they are. Like he, that's irrelevant to him now. He sort of flicked that switch, which a lot, of, a lot of guys take a long time to flick and some of them never flick it. Some of them just <laughs> think, I'm always just going to get mine. I'll get paid, I'll have a good life yes. and I'll just get mine, you know? Yep. And that's... That's fine. 
So we might, uh, we might shoot to the Eastern Conference and the biggest story coming out today is Kyrie Irving's ankle injury. What do you make of that series now that it looks like? Um, reports haven't come out. The x-rays come back negative, but we won't know more um, until we probably wake up um, in the morning to see just what the extent of that is. I would say you're not going to have him for game five along with James Harden. Where do you see that uh, series going now? Yeah, I think I think it's going to be tough. I hate I hate injuries because years later people always bring it up as what would have happened if the team was at full strength. Like it, it really like one of the things that really annoys me. And I know this is not an injury; it was more Draymond Green being a, an idiot. But when he um, um, had the strike on LeBron and got suspended for that game, and people still talk about it now that the, that that series would have been different had Dray. And it's this is why I, this is why I want everybody out there. So that there can't be any. Well, this guy wasn't there, you know, or was he was injured, or because it's an excuse, you know. We're never going to know, and it takes away from the team that actually went through and won, because it's it's not their fault that the guy was injured or got suspended, or it's, you know what I mean. Like it, it is what it is. Um, but I think after games one and two, I was a bit like, oh, Milwaukee has sort of been punched in the mouth. They've now fought back and 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 you know hit back, and now now it's. The, to me, the pressure is just on, it's just hugely on those skinny shoulders of Kevin Durant. Um, because even if Kyrie tries to go in game five, you'd think he'd be limited. Harden, we still don't know what's going on with his hamstring. But as you've spoke about in, in previous um, episodes, hamstrings are not things you can, A, you can play through. <laughs> and B, that you can just have a miraculous recovery from. Like, you, it's just the time. You've got to do the time, you know, and... and and do everything you can to, to try to speed that up. But there's an element of time that you've just got to get through. So I think Milwaukee now uh, are looking very, very strong in that series. And I think that the, the flip side of that is that their play has improved every single game. So they're actually getting better at the same time that Brooklyn's getting worse due to injury. Um, so and I don't know what's going on with Blake Griffin, but he's basically been an, an, a non-factor. Um, since I think he had a good game one, it was, um, and he's been very, very quiet since. And so I, I just think they're in, they're in all sorts now because we know they're not deep. They sacrifice depth to try to have this three-headed monster, um, and two of the three are not there now. It's uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really, really tough for them, particularly because the Bucks are really starting to hit their strides. And as we spoke about after games one and well, definitely game one, and we might have spoken about after game two, is they just weren't hitting shots. Now those shots are starting to fall. It's, it's going to be very, very hard for, for Brooklyn, who, as we know, don't have a great defense <laughs> to, um, to try to hold this team down and score enough points now themselves when two of their three scorers are sitting on the sides. Yeah, you spot on. And um, I'm just going to put um, put my LeBron fan hat on. because you love talk it. Let's about, go. <laughs> you, you talk about, uh, you know, people talk about injuries and they game five if Draymond had it been there, things were different. History only seems to remember certain players that get hurt and make that the narrative because no one ever talks about James Worthy and Magic Johnson getting hurt in 91 against the Bulls. No one ever talks about uh, Kevin Love and Kyrie getting hurt in 2015 when the Warriors won. You know, there's uh, it's always they they pinpoint which series would be different if you guys weren't hurt and things like that. But in terms of this Brooklyn series, this is for for me, and and we don't know what's going to happen in the next three games um, of this series. But this is an example of you just have to get one. So. They got one out of the mud in that game three. It wasn't pretty. Brooklyn had their chances at the end of that game to win, and they didn't. And Milwaukee just they they got a win, turned the series from going from three three zero and being over to being two one in a very ugly low scoring game. But they got one, and now within so he got injured in the second quarter. So within sixteen minutes of that game four. The series has now been flipped in Milwaukee's favour. So, you sh- I always, I always hate playing sport with players that will give up on a contest when it looks like the odds are against them, because you just never know what's going to happen. So, yeah, you might be down fifteen, and you know the other team is playing all over you, and you see guys in their face and their body language and their actions will just give up on the game and be like, oh, well, they were just too good today. And I always hated seeing that. So to see Milwaukee not go down 2-0 and think, okay, 
We just need to get one. And now that they got that one, it's now 2-2 and they've got all the momentum in this series. Whereas if they had just hung their heads and gone down and thought, yep, Brooklyn is just, they blitzed us in the first two games. This series over, they're just way too talented. We're just going to go home and everyone will say, well, you just lost to one of the greatest offensive teams of all time. But they didn't do that. They got game three and now they're in the box seat to win this game five. And this is... This is a chance for Kevin Durant to change the whole narrative about him going to Golden State and getting two easy rings that don't count because LeBron James has been in this position where his star players and his, his, his co-stars have been injured and he's been able to get victories without them. Now, he hasn't been able to win series but um, and not all the time, but you look at 2015, he was able to take two games off that Warriors team without Kyrie Irving and without Kevin Love. And he had Matt Delavadova, which we love, you know, local Maryborough LA. boy, Mozgov, um, guys like that. And he was able to get two finals victories against a, a great team in Golden State. 2018, he was able to take a team that basically blew itself up at the trade deadline and got those guys together to get to the NBA Finals. So now Kevin Durant has a chance. Now, I'm not saying he has to win the series, but if they go out and lose in six, then this whole narrative that he's on the same level as LeBron, it can't happen because LeBron would be able to get at least one victory even without those two co-stars because he'd be able to control the game enough to just just get one. And it'd be ugly. It'd probably be like that 2015 series where he slowed the pace right down, shot the ball about 37 times a game, which is very unlike LeBron, <laughs> but did what was necessary just to get a victory. So if Kevin Durant can't do that and they lose the next two, then you can't put him in that same category as LeBron James. And that's not to say he's not a superstar, one of the greatest scorers, one of the greatest players of all time. There's just levels to it. So this is a chance for him to solidify himself in that category as one of the all-time greats to get a game when he doesn't have his two co-stars with him. Yeah, he can't be passive. He can't be looking for others to... Um to well to help really he's going to be like no I'm I'm going to do this I'm going to shoot the ball 40 times if I've got to um because he, he doesn't have well he probably won't have um Kyrie there De- probably definitely won't have Harden there so it's like this is it now he backs against the wall you know what's what's um you know they can't remember that quote is but something about you know the ultimate measure of a man is what he does when things aren't going his way he, here it is and as yep. you say Brooklyn's mindset now has to be we just have to get one we yes. just have to get just get this next one. We get this next one that buys us more time. Even if um, even if uh, um, Milwaukee go and get the next, then we know we've got a game seven. Like we just need to get this next one. Yeah. Um, and, and who knows? As you say, you never know what's going to happen in the game. So something could happen to you know touch wood to one of the Milwaukee players that changes everything again. You know. So you've just exactly. got to from their perspective, you've just got to hang in there. But I just worry that they don't have the same. Um, the same breadth of players that Milwaukee do who have been there, done that, that, that probably had the mental strength to let's just keep, keep pushing, you know, keep fighting. As I said earlier, find a way to win. They found a way to win game one. They didn't come out and win game two pretty, uh, sorry, game four pretty comfortably. Um, you know, and now they're here. They are in the box seat. Brooklyn now have to flip that and, and try to do the same thing. But the th- I guess coming back to my original point, the thing that annoys me is there's already people making excuses for Brooklyn. And that's why the injury thing annoys me because it's like that that'll be their that'll be the excuse no matter what now it's like yeah but they didn't they had you know they um, two of their three best players out so that's why I just I just don't like it because I know you're probably right it is against certain players but I think I think Kevin Durant is is good enough to be in that category where um, he deserves the the same sort of um, um, well, the same sort of credit or um, angst that LeBron had when it came to those situations. You can't have one without the other. If he wants to be on that level, that's just the way it's got to be. So you're right. I think that the pressure on him and as I said, on those skinny shoulders of his is uh <laughs> it's quite a lot for for the skinny man to, to hold. So hopefully he can <laughs> he can hold it. But um yeah it's gonna be a massive, massive game five. Huge. Yeah, Huge. I can't wait. It's uh, I've, oh. my most looked forward to playoff game thus far. I, 
Oh, yeah, and oh. I, I'm, I, I, I'm really loving that Milwaukee are back in it because it was looking like there was going to be a second round exit, and you just wonder how Giannis was going to come back from that, and how Milwaukee would come back as an organization. Um, and so now they've got their chance, they've got their opportunity. They've had some disappointment in the last couple of seasons, as I said before, in regards to Michael Porter Jr. Greatness happens from when preparation meets opportunity. So if if they've done everything they were supposed to do to come back and appease the the failures of previous seasons, they need to take this opportunity with both hands, take this game five. It needs to be one of those games where you don't even give them a chance. You, this is you, this is the best opportunity you have to get to the Eastern Conference Finals and come up against a team that you should be favoured against to make the finals. So you need to unapologetically take this opportunity and not give Brooklyn any chance of winning this game five and get a stranglehold of this series. Yeah. I guess switching to the the last uh, series that we haven't touched on, which to be honest, is probably the series that's flying the most under the radar of any of the series at the moment. And that's Philly and Atlanta. Um, it seems to, I mean, I've, uh, Atlanta stole game one and Philly's won the last two. Do you reckon that series now is just over in five or does Atlanta sort of have some fight in them? It looks that way. Um, certainly in the last two games, Philadelphia have looked like the better team. And if you were to line them up paper for paper, Philly looks like a much more talented, deeper team. Um, so, and, and they've shown that in the last two games. But as we just spoke about, if Atlanta are able to, they've shown that they're able to get a game. They obviously got game one. So if they are able to get it to 2-2, we know then it's a three-game series and anything can happen, especially with someone like Joel Embiid, who's already been injured in this postseason. Um, but I think if, if Philly keep their eye on the ball and, and don't get distracted, they should comfortably be able to take the next game and get it to 3-1 and be in full control. That's the only thing that is a question mark is whether they're if they've matured enough that they're able to see, okay, let's not muck around with this. We can see how quickly things can change in the playoffs. We, we the better team, let's go out there and make sure that we show that we're the better team and get this to 3-1 um, and just show that we are a, a far superior team to this Atlanta Hawks. Yeah, completely agree. I, I must la- I must admit I laughed after um, watching um, the Bogdanovich who's in um, in Atlanta. I always get those two mixed up, Boyan and, and Bogdan or whatever, they, whatever their names yeah. are. <laughs> um, he was like, one of the guys said, oh, you know, so how do you, how do you get back into this series? And he just looked puzzled, defeated, and he said... We're going to find some way to slow down Embiid. <laughs> like he was just like this guy's just monstrous. We've just got to find some way to at least slow him a little bit um, because he's just he's just feasting on, on Capella and anybody else who wants to try to stop him from from the Hawks. You know he's yes. he's just absolutely beasting down there and you know a bit like we were talking about earlier, old school basketball, just banging bodies and just dunking on people and looking like bloody Shaq out there. <laughs> yeah, he's just. Killing it. Which is exactly what you have to do. When you've got an advantage, you take it all the way to the bank. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, we have one mailbag question that came in. Um, yep. You've got a hundred bucks right now. Who's uh, to put a bet on who's winning the title and who's the finals MVP? Uh, Milwaukee Giannis. Ooh, I like yep. it. Yep. I like I it. Think, I like, I think, as I, as I said, the, the opportunity is there for them now. They, they need to take this as going to be their best chance to win a, win a title. They need to, to take it with everything they've got. They've, there's no excuses for them now. They're, their team's healthy. They're battle-tested. They've, they've gone through the failures, so they've learned the lessons. They've come up against a team that's got injuries, so they need to take this opportunity right now. I like it. I'm, just just to make my bracket, which is already looking terrible, look a, a little bit better. I'm going to have to stick with Philly because I had them going all the way. So I'll go. I'll go, I'll go Philly and Embiid just just to uh, try to keep myself going there. The <laughs> Eastern Conference will rule again. Oh man, because because my bracket is not looking good. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there'll be many brackets looking very good. Uh, there would have been a lot of Lakers Brooklyn finals, and they both uh, both look like it could be early exits for them. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Um, anything else before we, we finish this one up from you? I don't think there's anything else that I wanted to touch on. 
no, I'm just really looking forward to this game five, Brooklyn, Milwaukee. Yeah, uh, it's going to be going to be very good to see, and and also interesting to see how Kawhi comes out in the net next this next game, whether he is that guy or whether he's not. I was just about to say, I reckon that I reckon that game tomorrow is, is pretty big because if they can go two two, you sort of feel like. Yeah, three game series now. Is, is Kawhi going to be that guy? Obviously, if it's three one, they got no chance of coming back from three one. No, no chance at all. Not when you've got playoff P on your team. <laughs> <laughs> Joe just locking him up. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Let's let's get some more of that. Let's get some more of the Joe <laughs> Joe um, Paul George stuff going because it's it's great. And as I think I did said, you see I'm, did you see his press conference? Yeah. When they asked him, yeah. So he's good. Got him. He's got him under his skin. So good. <laughs> Joe is like that. I think um, uh, uh, Reggie's sister, um, I always forget her name, Reggie Miller's sister. Um, Cheryl, Cheryl Miller. Yep. When, she, when she said, you know, Reg, Reggie's that itch that you just on your back that you just can't get. Like that, yes. that's what Joe Ingalls is. He's that itch yep. on your back that you just can't get. Yep. And because all Paul, Paul George would be thinking, you know, who is this slow white guy that just stands out shooting threes, saying this stuff to me? Like, I'm 6'8", athletic as hell, all-star, like all this. And Joe wouldn't care about any of it. Joe would be just like, yeah, I'm white, I'm slow. Yeah, I'm not ripped. i just out here, just slow-mo Joe shooting threes and dribbling yep. the ball around. He wouldn't get caught up in any of the ego or anything like that. He'd just no. be laughing like, yeah, you can think you're all this, but... We're winning the game here. Yeah, yeah. I remember once he was talking about some of the um, the funniest things that the crowd says to him, and he's like, he he often tells people he looks like a school teacher, <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> he's like, I, I, yeah, righto, like whatever. Yeah. Like, he just doesn't let it get to him. Like he's just so cruisy. Yeah. I don't think there'd be anything on this world that could get to Joe Ingles. He's just super no. cruisy, super no. cruisy. Um, and obviously, beyond the playoffs, is going to play a huge part in the uh, in the Boomers trying to get their um their first medal, which obviously. We'll get to once we get closer to that. Absolutely.